Okay, so we're live. Welcome to episode 16 of Turf Chat. Today we're joined with several people from the industry and we're going to talk about uh, demographics and golf course superintendents, how long people have been at their current positions, what their ages are, kind of the changing face of the industry as it relates to um, assistance and people moving up through the area. We have Peter McCormick from TurfNet on to talk about some of the polls that they took on their website. And before we start, I thought we'd go around the room and allow everybody to introduce themselves, as we always have. Uh, feel free to share your, your information, where you're located, anything you have coming up. Uh, we are, as I mentioned to Peter earlier, we're all about self-promotion. So if you have anything coming up that you want to promote, I know GIS is next week. So uh, so that's it. So we'll start with you, Chris, and we'll um, go left to right. It, you know, it looks like uh, there's some people hang, uh, trying to get in who can't figure out how to get into the Hangout. So you might want to, John, give a little a quick uh, overview on how to do that. Okay, I'll I'll mute my, I'll mute myself and I'll uh, start typing. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so my name is Chris Trudebaum. Just recently started at Hazeltine National in uh, in the Minneapolis area. Um, so started here around the first of the year, actually first of December, and had been here uh, just a few months. Uh, came from Northland Country Club where I was for six years, and so it's been my second superintendent job. And uh, it's a it's a going to be a, a big uh, big and exciting challenge so I'm muted Colleen just uh, take over introduce yourself and then uh, we'll keep going with Justin and down the line okay um, this is my first hangout so please tell me if I'm not doing something correctly here I'm Colleen Clifford marketing manager at Aquatrols I've been here for about 12 years now um, I also have with me who you can't see wait and wave Michael Hennesco, that's his hand there. Uh, he does all of our social media. Uh, so you've probably seen a lot of his postings. He's the voice of Black Patrols. And well, there's the face of magic. Um, at, of course, we'll be at GIS this year. Uh, once again, we'll be hosting our happy hour from 2 to 5 on Wednesday. So everyone stop by. We'll have live music, lots of fun. It'll be an interesting day. Next. My name is Justin Reese. And I'm the golf course superintendent at Indian Summer. Um, I've been here for two years now. I came from Arizona, so I've kind of been kind of up and down the, the West Coast. And uh, this year I don't have anything going on at the show, so I'm going to enjoy the – I'm going to go to San Diego and enjoy uh, being able to uh, see a few seminars and uh, do a few things there. So it'll be nice. So I'll see you guys there. Okay, Larry, we'll uh, keep up with you, and then we'll hit the people that came in. Uh, afterwards. Okay. Uh, I'm Larry Stoll from Pace Turf out in San Diego and we're looking forward to seeing you all uh, out here next week. I'll be participating in the CSI turf section on Tuesday from 10 to noon and uh, I'll pass it on to Pete. I'm Peter McCormick from uh, TurfNet. I'm probably the old man in the group. I don't know Larry, uh, you and I could maybe vie for that but whatever. Um, this is uh, actually um, February 1. We'll be uh, starting our 20th year, of which I'm uh, very proud because one of our first uh, initiatives, or my goal, was to not be one of the 90% of new businesses that fail in the first five years. So uh, hopefully we've uh, gotten past that. And uh, one of my initiatives, which I'll talk about in a little bit, are initiatives and interests over the years is uh, career development and uh, the way that the um, industry is uh, changing. So that was sort of the genesis of today's discussion. Okay, I think uh, Bruce just came in. I, we'll see if he's got a voice there. Bruce, you uh, <laughs> he's roaming around the house. Um, you got a mic there, Bruce? No mic. Okay, so he's in listening, but... Uh, <laughs> Anybody want to introduce Bruce Williams? Uh, we'll just say, Bruce, you're in the Hangout, and uh, although we see you, we can't hear you, but that's okay. You'll still get something out of it. All right. So if anybody else pops in, I'll introduce them or allow them to introduce themselves. We've got a little bit of space here. There are people that are following along on Twitter and also on the Facebook page, and it's live on turfdiseases.org. It's also live on youtube.com slash turfdiseases, so you should be able to follow along. If you're doing any tweeting out there,
just use the hashtag TurfChat, and I'll kind of pick it up here, and I can even answer some of your questions or have the group talk about it. So what we're going to do, we're just going to turn it over to, to Peter and have him kind of talk about you know, how this whole idea came up. He talked about his interest a little bit, but he did mention um, that they put some polls out on TurfNet and they got some feedback from some superintendents about how long they've been at their course and what their current age is. And I'm sure this will just spin into a pretty good discussion. We've got a good group of business superintendents, academics, uh, researchers. So, uh, Peter, we'll turn it over to you and, and give you the floor. Okay, as I mentioned before, this um, whole situation of uh, career development has been an interest of mine, and uh, having been in the turf business for, I don't know, 30 years now, I guess, or close to it, um, seen a lot of changes. Uh, obviously, we in, in the golf business are in a uh, new economy, uh, so to speak, um, where uh, Clubs at, and courses at every level have to reevaluate um, where they are financially, um, uh, which direction they're they're taking, and um, part of the problem I you know I see in terms of uh, well the crux of the issue is for superintendents over fifty. Basically, if you're over fifty, you're making a good salary. Um, very often, that salary is a result of initiatives that GCSA. Um, and I think Bruce uh, very much spearheaded uh, back in the 90s. Um, but unfortunately, the, the end result of that is that uh, uh, a well-paid superintendent has a target on his back in terms of um, uh, trying to balance budgets and things like that. Uh, couple that with... Uh, the uh, oversupply, if you will, of uh, younger guys at the assistant level, who many of whom are very qualified uh, and eager to move up in the ranks uh, and willing to take uh, that job at less money. Um, I think that's uh, an attraction uh, for some clubs. It, it also... Um, leads to this issue of what do you do when you're 50-ish or so, and should you lose your job? Uh, chances are, um, and with very few um, exceptions that I've seen, uh, you're pretty much screwed, I think, in terms of getting another superintendent job. Uh, you know, and there are, of course, the obvious uh, alternatives of going into sales or that kind of thing, but... Um, one of the guys on TurfNet, um, and I'll share my screen here for a minute, try to anyway. Uh, let's see, that's the one I want to go to. Hopefully everybody can see that uh, or will be able to momentarily. Sorry for the dogs. Um, John Paquette, who's a superintendent in Long Island, um, Basically posted, he said, uh, not sure if this has been done, probably has. If not, how old are you and how many years at your current position? And the underlying reason for him posting this was because uh, there is this old sort of uh, adage that uh, if you hit 50 and you've been at your club for 17 years, uh, that's a bad combination that all of a sudden puts you into the... Um, uh, into the crosshairs, so to speak, uh, sort of a bad luck kind of thing, like renaming your boat or something like that that's really not supposed to be done. Um, Larry had some a compilation of this uh, at one point, but it's grown to be, I think, uh, 155 replies on here and 6,000 and some page views. But in any case, I'm just going to scroll through them fairly quickly, and uh, not through all of them, but uh, after I do that, I will comment on something that surprised me. But again, uh, Johnny says, uh, Johnny P, as he calls himself, has, he's 50, he's 51 now, so we broke that, that uh, stigma and has been at uh, his club 17 years. Uh, Peter Rapoccio in uh, Connecticut, he's 61, has been there 35 years. Tony Girardi in uh, the Met area in New York, 43, been there 18 years. 
uh, Scott Axon, who I believe is in Iowa or Nebraska or somewhere out there. He's 54, been there 20 years. Fred Garish in North Carolina, 42, 13 years. Chris Trittabaugh, 35, been there six years. This was when he was still at Northland. Uh, Paul Van Buren is in Virginia, 34, eight years. Uh, here's Jerry Matthews, 55. He's been there nine years. Uh, Joe Haskins is in uh, Baltimore area, 36, 10 years. Um, Paul Halleck out in Arizona, 41. Been there two and a half years. Um, not to uh, belabor this and not to go through 150-some-odd um, of them, but what surprised me in this was the number of superintendents, which kind of goes against, maybe it goes against what I, my initial, my initial um, preamble. Uh, I was surprised at the number of guys in their late 40s, early 50s who have been at their jobs 20, 25, uh, even 30 years for some guys that are relatively young, in, meaning that they got those um, head superintendent jobs when they were in their early to uh, mid-20s. Um, I'm not sure how often that happens again these days. Um, so part of what I'd like to talk about today is um, particularly from some of the younger guys, Chris and, and Justin, um, where you see, I'm guessing you guys are in your uh, mid-30s, so um, wondering how, how you see the industry or where you'll be, you know, 15 or 20 years out, um, whether you're planning for a plan B, second career. I mean, it's almost like um, you have to look at this as, as like being a professional athlete um, where, uh, you know, you're going to peak and then you've got to, you're going to peak before you're ready to retire. So what do you do in the interim between that? Let me just throw it out there as is now. See if anybody has anything to uh, add. Okay, I don't know. I can go ahead and go on that one. Um, I think the the question I have, because I started as a superintendent when I was fairly young, 24, I think, is when, when I got my first uh, superintendent job. And I think the question that I have for maybe some of the other older guys or the guys that are keeping their jobs for longer is what are they doing to keep their job? I think it, I think to me the way I view it is sometimes complacency sets in and it's kind of the same, they just kind of run through the the uh, kind of the motions and they want somebody in them that's going to do new things, have new ideas and that's where you have to keep pushing kind of your ideas, keep keep up, that's kind of what the social media, keep up with what's going on in the industry, keep up with uh, kind of the newest technology and uh, and just keep pushing on that and not lose that that part where you're not going to go out and check greens today because we've got an assistant to do that or um, I think that's where you just have to stay on top of it and, and I don't know if it's like a, an athlete I think it's just you got to keep fresh and uh, that's what I've been trying to do is just every year I've been trying to, to push myself to do newer things and I think that's where uh, I mean I know clubs like to do it to save money but I think if you're doing your job well and you're bringing the club new ideas and, and new ways of uh, maybe gaining revenue or getting members, then I think that uh, they're going to want to keep you there. Hey, Larry, um, you have a graph up, and I didn't know if you wanted to comment or talk about uh, that. Well, this, is, uh, this was just uh, some summary of the, of the first about 106 of the superintendents from Peter's uh, survey and on the left is uh, age and on the right is years of service uh, so you can see the graph goes up pretty well until you get into uh, about the 50s and then it just it just plummets off uh, you know plummets off down uh, down on the end over that so that the stats do look like people get up to around 50 years old and then something happens 
and I'm not sure if it's always uh, they get fired or if you just get uh, burnout, uh, or it just turns out that after 50 years you're bound to have enough failures in there that someone's going to blame you and not the not the biology or the the uh, of the systems, you know. So you can uh, there'll be some turnover. So that was all. I just put that up just because that was a little bit of a summary, but it looks pretty much describes what Peter's seeing. There are some guys that are hanging around a long time, uh, but uh, it looks like mostly, uh, most are in that uh, eight year, eight to, uh, you know, the first two, if you took the first, well, first three cuts, get you up to about 20, 22 years, but it looks like most of, most everybody's uh, 10 years around the eight year range. Yeah, it looks like based on that graph, I mean, it looks like that 50, 52 age limit, there's a big drop-off, and then it also looks like you said, you know, 20 years is a big drop-off. Now, there's a big drop-off at eight as well. Um, I don't know, maybe it seems like a lot of the superintendents, especially even some of the younger ones that end up doing you know, big-time courses, they hop around a lot. You know, they don't overstay their welcome. <laughs> they get out before things start to turn bad for them, and they move on to a new project where, you know, if you're at, if you took a course from the a mediocre course and made it great, you improved it, well how much can you keep making a big impact after you've improved it to some level? Whereas if you then go back to a course that you know used to be good but now has maybe fallen off a little and you improve it again, it's like you see a huge improvement but then once you hit the higher end of that improvement, you know, just little baby steps is all you can take. There's not much more you can do. So I, I see a lot of success in people bouncing around because they show that big impact and then they get the hell out and go somewhere else. Well, I think one of the issues that that's uh, that that's showing up also is that I think the golf turf management industry is a crisis management industry. It's not a uh, it's not a forward-looking, uh, preventive sort of a strategy. So getting through the next tournament, getting through the next year, uh, rather than looking years ahead. And I think we're seeing that show up when we try to uh, uh, implement or or inspire some sustainability efforts, it's very difficult to get people to buy in. So that really it's the short term, getting through the short term. And then I'm wondering if this eight-year swap, is that, does that have something to do with like how many Greens Committee cycles you get through uh, before you bump into somebody that uh, just wants to have your neck? And, that, and that's also... I think he froze up. He might have to get oh, out. Very back. Short term Larry got terminated again. <laughs> no, you're back. You froze up for a second, but you're all right. You know, Larry, it might be. Uh, it takes seven years for that, you know, that member that you pissed off in year one to get on the board to then fire you. So it, it could be something as simple as that. You know, I don't know what the cycles would be, and um, I don't know. Chris, do you have anything that? Um, well, you know, I mean, I, it's. Um, let me choose words cautiously here because I don't want to. I don't want to make any negative comments towards anything. But you know, I just came from a place I was there for six years, and we made a lot of changes. The first couple of years, um, a lot of really uh, 180 degree changes, things that needed to be done, and agronomic things that weren't being done and had to be done. And and anytime you go from, well, we had four inches of thatch at North Northland when I got there because practices were being skipped and being missed and that sort of thing and, and so when you if you're going to recover that and you're going to do it in a fairly short time frame you're going to have to do some ugly work some things that a lot of membership uh, portions of memberships aren't going to like so uh, we ran I ran across that a little bit there towards towards the end and that changing dynamic and changing leadership and different leaders than were there when I first started um, so I think you make a good point, John, in that it takes you some time to, to get the things done that you need to get done. And especially up there, we ran up against a, a budget that, uh, not to say that we couldn't have continued making improvements, but it becomes more and more difficult to squeeze uh, little tiny bits of, of improvement out of the, the dollars that you have available. Um, now I'm coming someplace that's that's completely different. Um, place that hosts events and their mission statement is to host major championships and that's what they do and they do it uh, very often. Uh, they want to have every six to seven years something something big here. So I think from that standpoint, as long as you can avoid a, a burnout situation, uh, as long as you can keep yourself fresh, I think you can, you're always going to have something that you're going to be working towards here and, and I think that that will help uh, keep us in a position of being uh, uh, yeah. I should be able to keep keep fresh. If I can keep myself fresh and keep myself from getting burned out, then I think we'll be in a position to 
to always be making improvements here and always be working towards something, which I think is ultimately maybe uh, the plot that gets lost a little bit as guys are at a facility, uh, you know, eight, 10, 12 years. Uh, maybe they they feel like they've done the work that they needed to do and now it's sort of a maintenance uh, situation and maybe a, a rut gets formed, uh, whether it's actually them being in a rut or whether it's the membership feeling like there's a rut because a whole bunch of stuff happened and now very little happens. So um, it's different at each facility, and, but I think relevance is important. Justin mentioned it, keeping yourself relevant, keeping yourself up to date on, on what practices are and, and how the world is being viewed. Social media is a big thing for relevance, but it, you know, it's also a big thing in that your members are, are, are using social media and they're the world. So the world that we live in has shrunk. And whereas you could be at a course 15, 10, 15 years ago, and you could be there and you're sort of on your own little Island. Now you've got a membership and you've got who, who you've got maybe a hundred internet agronomists who are paying attention to what's going outside, going on outside in the rest of the world. And, and our world has shrunk, you know, has shrunk down. You're, you're, you're that much closer to other people, I guess, wandering eyes. Maybe. Yeah. And Bruce doesn't have um, audio, but he's, made some comments in the hangout. He says he experiences it a lot. And he, he made a point that I was actually just going to make as well. And the point is um, the old superintendent has you know no equipment, reduced budgets for three or four years. They get rid of that person because of declining conditions. And then all of a sudden, the new guy gets everything he wants. He can air fry 10 times a year. He can beat up the greens. Um, he can do all kinds of things. And they're given that leeway. And then all of a sudden, the course gets better. And they go, oh, that guy's a hero. He, you know, he did everything. He, he, that other guy must have been bad. And all it was is, is, a, is a communication issue um, in terms of, you know, the, the, uh, the members just don't want to, I don't know, they just don't want to listen to the last guy because he had been there so long. Um, I'm sure all of you have seen that and experienced that to some degree. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, a true statement. But I think also it comes down to kind of what uh, Larry was saying about the crisis management. We're always trying to basically take care of problems that are that are happening but I think planting that seed within the membership or within your green committee saying this is what we need to do in the future and, and hopefully getting a way to set up monies ahead of time for either bunker renovation or things that get updated because I think that's the thing too is, is it's the same thing with uh, trying to get new members you got to keep things fresh if it's the same course that it was 10 years ago um, and you're not getting new members then they're not going to want to come and, and play the golf course no matter what it is it can be in the best condition but if it's the same thing they're just they need something new so updating the clubhouse updating the golf course uh, renovating areas so that things are or either opened up things that have overgrown or opened up um, I think all these things need to be looked at and then planting that seed and, and saying, hey, we need to like keep, keep updated because I think it gets to a point where you just kind of give up and say, well, I'm not going to ask for any more money. And, uh, and then the new guy comes in and you have to give him everything because uh, the other guy might have given up a while back saying, I'm not going to ask for anything because they're not going to give it to me anyway. Uh, I yeah, think I that's see. where communication comes in. And I've seen situations too where, where uh, uh, renovation projects has dragged on for years that could have done better by you know knocking them out in a year uh, but then uh, the, the golfers didn't want to have the impact you know that having an impact so they spread it out and then that's uh, that ends up with a situation where you know frequently tell the guys you know say the next guy is really gonna love this course because they just you know you keep, you keep the golfers unhappy for a couple of years even though it's out of your control that's you know you toast yeah, um, I'm going to address some questions that we have in from Twitter in a minute. But uh, Attila, you're in here, and uh, do you have audio? Yep. Um, Hi guys. So sorry about so, this. I got too many babies crying around. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, so you have uh, you're in Turkey, right? That's right. South yeah, Turkey. So, it's a transition zone. <clears throat> So over there, we're talking about demographics and people getting hired and maybe fired and um, how long they stay at the club. Um, I don't know how many courses are in Turkey, but you know, who are the people taking clubs uh, or positions over in that area? 
See, that's a that's a different story because um, we got resort courses here rather than uh, members club. So um, most of the superintendents here are agricultural based. They're not uh, turf guys. So they they go in as an assistant and they build up from there. So normally what they do they bring in um, foreign superintendents and uh, they train the assistants and then they um, they take over and they stay in the job. I mean, the courses around here are about 10 to um, 15 years old. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm okay. trying to get in really quiet. <laughs> okay, so, so it, might, it might be a little bit different over there relative it's to... It's a bit different, yeah. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to mute, mute you so that we yeah. don't kill all That's all right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> John, so, one of the... Um, sure, if I could just chime in here, one of the sayings that I've sort of... Uh, coined over the last few years is that, um, you know, success today as a golf course superintendent. It's all about mistake avoidance. Um, and, you know, sort of a corollary to that is uh, somebody once said that the, the best way to call attention to yourself is to make a huge mistake, uh, which is certainly true, um, you know, in, in this business. Um, w one of the things Justin mentioned, and I think that the encapsulation of what his message was, was that he's, he views um, uh, not letting the fire go out in the belly uh, and to keep, um, you know, reinventing yourself, uh, keeping things interesting. I was talking to uh, a superintendent um, not too long ago, and his motto for this year, and he's in his, I would, he's in his early 50s, uh, pretty well tenured, um, not so much at his recent club, but the club he was at before he was there, I don't know, going on, I don't know, 15, 20 years. His motto for this year is, screw the rut. In other words, he's going to do everything he can, both personally and professionally, uh, to... Uh, either dig himself out of if he's in one or avoid uh, falling further into or getting into any different ruts in terms of what he does both in his life and um, on the golf course. Uh, just as an aside, one of the other things that came to mind, um, and I think that I don't remember who um, mentioned this to me, it was, and maybe it was all of them, it, it could have been Gordon Wittavine in Toronto or um, George Thompson down in North Carolina or uh, Paul R. Latshaw, uh, but all of them uh, mentioned that they like to surround themselves with the younger guys, uh, the interns, et cetera, who in this case are going to be up with technology, up with, uh, you know, uh, right on the cutting edge of um, social media, all that kind of stuff, and by surrounding themselves with uh, the younger guys, they're both giving their their crews a shot of energy, but also uh, keeping themselves apprised of what's, uh, you know, what's going on and what they need to, um, to learn about and to do to uh, keep themselves fresh. You know, if I, if I could make a couple comments on something Peter said, he talked about mistake avoidance, and I, I think he's right. I think a lot of jobs or a lot of job um, security comes from the avoidance of mistakes. The problem is is that in, in working to avoid mistakes, oftentimes uh, you end up with playing conditions that are exactly the opposite. I just put this on Twitter. Exactly the opposite of what memberships are looking for. A lot of guys get uh, a lot of new jobs. Guys are coming in, getting hired, on the basis of being able to provide, you know, fast and firm playing conditions. That's what a membership says they want. And so they bring somebody new in uh, to provide those conditions. And somebody new comes in and he's not worried about making mistakes because they're new and they've got a honeymoon period and they can provide those conditions. And then all of a sudden they get into a rut of, well, now we're going to have to stand, uh, you know, sort of stand down and, and not, not make mistakes, avoid making mistakes, and then also your conditions go away from this fast and firm that you were originally hired for and the membership originally wanted. So that becomes sort of a, I guess you could say a slippery slope. Um, the other point that Peter made about assistance and keeping keeping uh, 
you know, keeping young people coming through and, and keeping things fresh. And I think that's a, a great point. Um, we're, that's going to be a big part of what we're going to do here is to constantly run young people through here who are graduates or who are intern programs who are going to keep everybody fresh. We've got some long-term employees here who've been here for a long time. They're great and they have their, their purpose, but I think running some young people through here who are going to constantly keep everything fresh, keep me on my toes, keep everybody on, on our toes is going to be a wonderful situation. Yeah, let's, um, I'm going to just mention a few things that some people are saying on Twitter. Um, Chris Green, and some of you may know this, and actually Bruce Williams, um, you might type your answer if you have it here. Um, and you, I, you, I saw you just type something else. <coughs> has anybody heard this from Chris Green on Twitter? He says, has anyone heard of anyone taking a cut to stay at their current position when budget cuts come into uh, to effect? Anybody, anybody know of anybody that's willing to do that? Or know where that had happened? Well, Jim McLaughlin had done a uh, uh, series of um, blog posts for us that was career-oriented, and that's one of the things that he uh, underscored. Now, I can't cite a specific example, but that was um, one of the things that he cited that should be on the table if, you know, declining membership, whatever it happens to be, uh, clubhouse overruns or, you know, is another good one but when push comes to shove and the discussion um, centers on okay we cannot afford you anymore uh, does does your pride kick in and say well I'm not going to work for anything less or do you look at it that a smaller slice of something is better than the whole slice of nothing uh, and the resultant having to uproot yourself um, your family, and uh, all of a sudden go out and find a new job. Uh, I certainly think it, as much as you'd hate to think that, okay, I'm, I'm going to get paid less rather than more, um, it's something that should be considered as part of the negotiating process if, uh, you know, again, if it's in a, a push comes to shove uh, situation. Yeah. Maybe in the future there will be more, there will be some Incentive plans or something to uh, to adjust salaries based on the the whole club performance, so everybody in the business unit gets rewarded if the business unit does well, something like that. But we've had we've had superintendents who have been approached by the uh, organization, say, "Look, you got to get rid of your assistant superintendent," you know, um, or and and then they would refuse to get rid of the assistant, and then they get fired. So the assistant gets the job, so they got what they needed uh, out of the system. But I don't I don't know how you can um, how do you build a career with some knowledge of what your trend in pay is going to be uh, in, in a variable marketplace. So it's almost like a sales job rather than uh, than a than a stable superintendent's position. If we look at that type of system. A question I'd like to ask of um, uh, Justin and Chris is: Is it even on your radar screen to um, plan for, prepare for, envision um, a second career? And the the second part of that question would be: Are you putting any money aside uh, with that in mind? I guess. For me, anyway, I'm not. Uh, I'm not planning on any other careers. I mean, I definitely. Uh, I'm assuming that I'll probably move around at some point years down the road. If uh, um, just for that, once the kids are, are a little older and in school and stuff, or getting kind of that final destination, maybe. But uh, I'm not planning on any new careers. Um, and uh, of course, we're setting aside money just in case something happens, because you never know with this uh, industry if something happens. Um, just like we were talking about earlier, a, a green committee person could have a, just a, they want their friend or whatever, their friend's son out there or whatever it is in that position um, that your day could come up. But uh, um, that'd be the only thing that I'm, I'm saving money up just in case I lose my job so I can have some time to find another job. But uh, uh, I'm not planning on going anywhere, and I think uh, if I can keep things fresh, I don't worry about losing my job anytime soon. 
There's a, there's a couple more questions that are actually coming up, um, so I'm glad people are actually uh, asking some things. <coughs> uh, Jason Haynes said we're exploding with activity. I'm not sure 10 people following us on Twitter are exploding with activity, <laughs> but but um, there are a few uh -huh. conversations in here. Somebody asked, uh, Dan uh, Mazoff asked, are obtaining environmental awards and certifications high on the list for potential new jobs? Um, anybody have any thoughts on this? I mean, there's certification through becoming a CGCS uh, superintendent. There's, you know, continuing education, which is obviously a huge importance. Um, are we seeing these things translate into people getting positions? Anybody I see, have any? Thoughts? I mean, I see a lot of job postings come across <laughs> my desk and through our system. Uh, my gut feeling is that uh, the certified superintendent CGCS status um, is not quite as important with the younger guys um, as it was. I think part of that is because, oh, and, and again, I don't remember exactly when it was, but 10, 12 years ago, I think uh, GCSA sort of watered down the requirements to get it. Um, so, you know, Chris, you're not certified. Justin, you are, correct? Yeah, I'm certified. I also went on and, and got the uh, Master Greenkeeper from the British International Golf and Greenkeeper Association. I think that uh, that process is, is quite a bit more difficult. I mean, it's a lot more technical, a lot more uh, uh, when they come out to inspect the golf course. It's a, an all-day deal where they look through all your paperwork and... and uh, so it's definitely, I think that's a, a much more of a, a more difficult designation to get, I guess, and I'm not sure if that is going to get me a job, I'm, but uh, I'm not sure if I'm necessarily doing it to get another job. It's just to, uh, I guess, continue my education and, and kind of get goals that I've had since I've started to be a superintendent, just to achieve those goals. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I, the certification thing is that, you know, it's a good topic and it comes up. Uh, I've interviewed for two superintendent jobs now and it's never been it's never been brought up. It's never been discussed as something that they wanted to see. I mean, I, I, and I've, I've applied for, I don't remember the postings mentioned certification. I don't think this last one did, but, you know, you see postings that mention certification and then when it comes to the interview process, it becomes sort of a moot point. Uh, for me, it's a, you know, it's not a personal goal of mine to become certified. Um, I think it's it's extra time spent on the side. Justin can probably relate to this, that you have to put in the effort. And I would rather reserve that time for my kids and for my wife. And, and uh, work takes up a lot of my time. And, and uh, so it's just for me, it's not a personal goal. There's nothing against it. I don't have any problem with it, but that's not a goal of mine. Is the, is the lack of perceived value from this though? You, I mean, you applied for a club that's going to host the, you know, got a job at a club that's going to host the Ryder Cup in '16, and yeah. it wasn't and wasn't brought up in the in the interview process or anything. Is the lack of perceived well, value because of a failure in GCSA to to promote this as being an important thing? I mean, they they want to make it seem like being yeah. a certified superintendent is super important, but there's other people that say, I don't need that designation to be successful. Well, um, I mean, I, I think you might be right, John. I mean, what's the, what's the value in it? What's the value in the time that I would have to put into it and the, the money I would have to spend to do it when I'm, I'm sitting here in a good job without it? So, again, I think it's a it's maybe gotten to the point where as opposed to a, a something that needs to be done for person for professional advancement, it's maybe become more about a personal goal for various individuals. So, again, nothing wrong with it. It's just, I think, uh, what an individual chooses. One couple of things. Sorry, Larry, if I could just chime in here. I had a, I knew a guy um, who was, um, he used the initials GGCS after his name. And I said, what the hell is this? What is this GGCS? He said, that stands for Good Golf Course Superintendent. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the other thing I just wanted to say was that um, I've, I think there's a bit of, of misconception or uh, misperception of that certification status among um, clubs who are hiring. I've seen quite a few job listings come through that'll say uh, certification, you know, CGCS status required. And then in the uh, experience uh, category, they'll say... Um, 
you know, five years as an, as a uh, head superintendent or eight years as a first assistant. Well, unless I'm it, unless it's changed, I don't think it, anybody who even has eight years as a first assistant can be certified. So they're sort of talking out of both sides of their mouth. Well, the, the, one of the things I was going to comment on the the data from uh, Peter's survey: twenty-seven percent of the superintendents were uh, CGCS. And then frequently, uh, certification programs, they're generally uh, used uh, in professions where you're trying to avoid some sort of additional type of regulation so that you govern yourself uh, rather than uh, having someone step in and provide some legal uh, guidance. So it's a, there's a professionalism aspect that you're trying to define what the profession of the golf course superintendent is and, and provide some criteria that uh, identify for the public uh, people who are qualified to do the job. And when you have, when you have um, environmental impacts like spraying pesticides and stuff like that, it, it tends, to, uh, tends to help uh, prevent uh, additional regulation. So sometimes that's, uh, that's the motivation for a certification program. Sorry, I was muted. Go ahead, Peter. In that same light, um, do you think the uh, certified Audubon cooperative sanctuary status carries more weight than a certified superintendent status does? Well, the, the, that goes with the course, not with the individual. Right, so. but still, one has to implement the program and yeah, achieve but, the status. Yeah, I think that that would be more. Yeah, I mean, you can step into a, a club that has certified status, so it's not really anything to do with your professional performance. I think I think in that case it would be more about you promoting that as something that you've done and you've taken a course to certified status and then if you go to a course that that's an interest to them then you've done it before and maybe you've learned from the mistakes you've made along the way and you can do it quicker or better or, or, or not do it at all, whatever it may be. I think it's a definitely a resume builder if you've taken them through that whole step but if you take a job where they're certified uh, through the Audubon service already, then you know what does that mean for you? Did you really did you really do much um, to get it there? Um, there's a couple other questions that are coming in. Um, John Lobenstein, who actually bounced in and then maybe got booted or something happened, um, he he liked your comment, uh, Peter, about GGCS. He liked that. Um, there's a, there's two topics that I want to discuss as we kind of wrap up in the last few minutes here. Um, one is the use of social media, and we'll get to that last. Um, the first one because it was relevant to me. Someone said. <clears throat> Uh, Ryan DeMay said from Kinsale Turf on Twitter said, with the declining enrollment in many turf programs uh, plus attrition of experienced people leaving the industry and or taking a job outside of maintenance, where do you see the profession in 10 to 15 years um, from you know an academic perspective? And, and Joey uh, Young, if I can find his comment, he said, are, are the changing dynamics of the superintendents changing dynamics of students in the classroom as well? And um, I want to throw that out to you first before I give my perspective as an academic. But I mean, thoughts—your thoughts on how things are changing um, from a, a student level, interns that you may see, um, your alumni—you know, your alum, your schools. Anybody? I think uh, I think it's a good topic. I think that more people need to stay up to date. I think the school needs to change, and I think my alumni and stuff like that. I think. People aren't necessarily taking that on with blogging and, and uh, the social media portion of it. And I think that's something that uh, um, I think needs to be brought up in, in classes and, and things that they need to start their blog or they need to be able to at least do that communication because uh, especially in the private sector, there's a lot of politics behind it and communication is, is the main driver. If you're not kind of communicating well on what's happening, what's going to happen, um, it seems like when you surprise people, that's when uh, people start questioning what you're doing. <laughs> so I think that's the biggest thing is, is communication and through that is kind of getting the, the members kind of involved in the, in the turf maintenance as well. I guess my question then becomes to all the superintendents out there. Numbers are down across the country. There's no doubt about it. Universities and programs are, are declining in students. And while, you know, some of the larger universities I think will survive this, I think there's a lot that are going to go away. I think the, the one-stop shops where you have one person that runs the entire turf program, they're not going to be able to sustain when they retire or something. They're, they're just going to close the programs down. So everybody says to us, 
why are you putting out so many students and why are you doing all this stuff? I look at the turf industry as if I'm an 18-year-old or if I'm somebody that wants to go back to the industry right now, I look at this as an awesome opportunity, a time to get in and start building at that young age. Maybe if you're 30, it's it's tough or, or 35, you know, you're struggling because you've been an assistant for a long time. But if you're 18 or 20 years old, 21, 22, and you want to go back now, first of all, we're not, the economy is not going to stay bad forever. We always go in cycles. So when housing improves and golf courses start being built again, um, or, you know, when you put your time into be an intern and then a suit, you know, an assistant or whatever it may be. I look at it, you know, eight years from now, it's like the people that are getting in the business now are going to actually have a very good opportunity. Now, the argument against that is, yeah, but there's a zillion assistants that are out there now, and there's going to be that still that that funnel at the top. And yes, that's true, but a lot of these people are going to get bypassed because the younger people are going to get picked, like what's happening to the 50-year-olds that, you know, that, that you show that graph, Larry, at that 52-year point, boom, there's a huge drop-off. And so, I'm not saying it's a, it spells a good thing for the entire industry. I think that there's a lot of people that are going to get screwed over in this, um, in this transition, but from a young person standpoint, I think it's big. I think if we start losing turf schools, if some of the smaller programs around the country, um, and I say smaller in terms of numbers, not even stature, there's a lot of big schools that are losing numbers. If, if they go down and the number of universities offering turf programs uh, declines, then one, those turf programs are going to increase in numbers, they're going to have higher numbers. There's going to be a demand at some point that we're not filling, and that may be 20 years down the road, but there's going to be a demand that we're not filling, and I think right now um, it's a good time to get in. We, it takes the time to get to be a superintendent, but I think that it's a good time to get in. That's my opinion on it, but I know a lot of people will disagree and argue with me, but so I just wanted to see if anybody had any other thoughts on that. Well, John makes a good point about people getting in, and what I've seen is is uh, one comment I wanted to make is sort of the way that is the aggressiveness that uh, these young guys have got towards uh, towards going out and finding jobs. I mean, I have not posted a position here at all for interns or for anything like that. I'm getting uh, multiple applications per week. Um, these guys are going out looking for situations that they think are going to set them up well for the future, and, and I think that really uh, shows a lot of forethought on their part. Uh, it's changed. And, I mean, it was 10 years ago that I sat, uh, I came out of school and I got a first assistant job right out of the right out of the gate. And those days are just uh, it's not it's not happening. It's pretty uh, few and far between in those regards. One of the challenges, John, that I, that I see um, that, it, that is now obviously the economy is not always going to be as it is now. However, one of the things I think that's going to ultimately and is beginning to impact the career of the golf course superintendent is the fact that the private club that has been the financial backbone, I think, of the industry for a long time, and certainly supports the uh, higher echelon of, of salaries. Um, there are things facing the game, obviously, the, the time, difficulty, cost thing, but there are also a number of obstacles facing the private clubs uh, in that that lifestyle just doesn't jive with you know what our society is today I mean if uh, obviously I'm gonna date myself but you go back to leave it to beaver and uh, <laughs> you are dating yourself <laughs> yeah so you know um, the the family would go to the club for the weekend and dad would play golf and mom would play tennis and the kids would splash in the pool and they'd eat at the grill and they'd you know eat in the clubhouse at night and come back Sunday and do the same thing um, you know that's just not our world anymore and, you know, with, with the uh, cliche of Saturday morning soccer practice, not to mention the overscheduling of kids and the, the helicopter, helicopter parenting that's going on and, and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, to pay whatever some of these, you know, the, the, uh, except for the uber-rich, you know, the ones for which it's uh, not a concern at all, um, I think that uh, that the, the whole club uh, 
situation is is uh, going to have or is is going to see a lot of um, different challenges uh, in the future, and that's just starting to happen now. You know, um, I was looking at some of the turf blogs this morning, and one of the um, guys posted that you know they have their annual that the green staff has their annual uh, sort of review planning. Uh, uh, meeting and strategy session, but one of the things he said was that I think that we, or one of the new things that they addressed this year was how the green staff can contribute to the economic viability of the club as a whole. And I think that's a good position for everybody to look at. Not Don't just look at the golf course and the green department as a separate autonomous entity. You know, look at it as one cog in the wheel that uh, really everybody's success hinges on all the others. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of that comes back to, you know, what added value do you bring to your facility, whether it's a golf course or an academic institution. Um, the idea of I'm a turf manager and going in there and maintaining grass and have it running a staff is probably no longer good enough. It has to be beyond that um, in a lot of cases. And so that's maybe where social media comes in and the communication with members and you're providing that added benefit. Maybe it's about helping with recruitment to of members. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the, the answer is. We're, we're kind of running out of time here and I'm not going to get to the social media aspect of it because uh, obviously this we're using social media to communicate and there's a lot of people on Twitter talking about it now. We're going to end up having an entire whole turf chat just to talk about the importance of social media in turf and maybe get through some, some examples. So what I thought I would do um, is, one, thank everybody for coming into the turf chat. It's actually pretty interesting because I'm watching it on Twitter, and there's a lot of people talking about it. And yeah. so uh, it's nice to see that you know we might have had some decent impact uh, in this turf chat. But what I'll do is we'll go around, and until I'll start with you, and then we'll go um, left to right, basically just, you know, final thoughts that you have, um, any promotion of anything you have coming up, and then we'll, we'll conclude. I think a lot of the things that was said today in the meeting is all about the members club. Um, I don't see anything changing in the near future with the um, resort courses, but we got huge, huge sort of responsibility with the budgets and so forth. But unfortunately, um, or fortunately for us at the moment, it looks good. Uh, go ahead, go ahead okay. Chris. Sorry, Sorry, I was muted, so I was just waiting for no. you to just jump in. Sorry, I was kind of zoned out. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's. Um, I think there's an opportunity for everybody in this business, regardless of age, to keep themselves relevant and to keep uh, what they're doing at their facility relevant and uh, you know I think that's it's all in our sorry about that uh, it's all sort of in our in our own hands alright hey come back to me the dog has settled down it's like perfect timing too every time you start to open your mouth you were barking so uh, Colleen will skip and then we'll come back to, to Jason go ahead Colleen well, as a manufacturer, of course, you know, our future is very much tied with golf course superintendents and golf courses in general. And in listening to the conversations here and other conversations and things we've been watching in it within the industry over the last couple of years, there is a lot of potential change happening. There is a lot of challenges that are presented. Um, and I think it's those challenges can also be opportunities for the industry, as I think you had mentioned. Um, so I'm really kind of interested to see how this turns out. I think it's going to be um, maybe harrowing at times, but quite exciting as well. Okay, I think the dog's calmed down now, so that's what happens anytime anybody anybody new comes in. Uh, and so my point being that I think there's a there's an opportunity for everybody, regardless of age, at their facility to sort of take their own situation their their situation into their own hands and and, and make themselves relevant and. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Peter talked about mistake avoidance, which is, um, you know, I think it's it's just a, it's a thin line that we have to walk between making a big mistake and put, putting yourself into a position where you're continually sort of pushing the envelope and then making some mistakes. And, and But yet at the same time that we're, we are pushing enough to be able to keep continuing to do new things and to provide uh, the sort of conditions that, that memberships are looking for these days. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's not an easy 
not an easy task, but I think everybody's got the opportunity in their hands to be able to make what they uh, make their career what what it can, whatever they want it to be. Hey, Justin. Okay, yeah, I think I think he's right on with that. I think that uh, no matter what age you are, it's just uh, you got to get to the point where you're not saying, oh, well, it's always been like that because uh, I've been at different clubs where some of the employees have been there for quite a few years and. Uh, when you get there, you kind of ask about certain areas maybe that have been neglected or whatever, and and uh, you ask them like, "What's going on over there?" And oh, it's always been like that, or it's always it always dries up every year. Um, I think that's where you can kind of keep yourself fresh and and try to look at things and and figure out what the problems are, what the root of the problem is, rather than just trying to do the crisis management where you're out there uh, just spraying a, a fungicide for to prevent something rather than uh, figuring out the problem of why uh, why you're getting issues there. Um, I think that's what I try to do anyway to stay fresh is if there's areas on the golf course that I'm struggling with, try to find that root problem. Is it uh, lack of sunlight or whatever it is? Um, that's what keeps me fresh and, and keeps me going every day is just becoming a problem solver. So it's, it's good for years to come so I don't have to come back to it. Um, I think anybody can do that. Okay, Larry. All right. Well, I think uh, I think getting out of crisis management uh, culture of the whole industry is going to be important. I think things that, that you guys can do, superintendents can do to help with that is to have a master plan, make sure it's updated. I think the IPM planning guide that the uh, GCSA has up on their website helps out in some of that stuff. And then I think some you know sort of this crisis mitigation strategies, and then get, get, if the greens committees can start thinking out several years ahead rather than focusing out just like right in front of their face uh, and you can anticipate these issues and, and let them know and I think that's where the communications come in is where, where the course is vulnerable maybe it's not a mistake or, or maybe you were lucky in the past but if, if they know where the vulnerabilities are and they're prepared for a failure of some type even, even if it's not a mistake I think uh, there's a lot better future for everybody in the industry and we'll have a lot easier time uh, satisfying golfers couple of um, couple of suggestions for future topics uh, one would be uh, focus on how does a superintendent keep the fire in his belly and how does he um, do the same for his staff I mean there are a lot of different ways just from you know uh, you know improving the crew's break room uh, putting a new coat of paint on something uh, <coughs> reorganize uh, you know, build a new, um, buy a couple of new gas grills and some picnic tables or something or another um, to keep the staff motivated. Uh, one of the things that I've sort of suggested over the years is is just for a superintendent to bring a neighboring superintendent in, um, have him ride the golf course with him, and shout out anything that he sees that he doesn't understand or wonders about just as a separate set of eyes. Um, to uh, evaluate what's going on on the golf course. Uh, the other topic I, I would like to see is um, you're talking about social media. How does social media and in, in a broader realm, uh, you know, email all of the instant gratification that our society has come to demand, um, how does that impact the... Um, the plight of the superintendent in terms of um, uh, golfer demands. Yeah, I actually think that's a good topic. I just got back from the Canadian show this weekend. I gave a, I don't know, two and a half hour seminar to a group of about maybe 100, 150 people on the use of social media. And, you know, we really broke it down from the basics up to, um, you know, some of the more advanced uh, areas. And there's just a lot of questions out there. I think people are just nervous about, you know, how to get involved in it, whether it's going to be a time suck. So I think that, um, Peter, that those are two good topics. I think the social media one, I may actually give like an hour version of my talk to where I'm using it more as like a training seminar for people in a future turf hangout. And then that'll probably spin off into more discussions and things like that. Um, there's no doubt social media plays a big role. Um, the industry as a whole is impacted by a lot more than just social media. I think 
um, the idea that golf is too long. Was there like a five-hour five hour nine hole <laughs> yesterday at Torrey Pines or something, Larry? I don't know exactly what it was, but it was something like five and a half hours for nine holes. Um, that's not good for the game of golf, and I think that's going to impact it. So uh, hopefully we'll see some uh, future turf chats like this where we have some good discussion. Peter, I want to thank you for coming. Peter McCormick from TurfNet, and, uh, and Larry, you were instrumental in getting this pulled off, and I want to thank everybody else for showing up as well. With that, we're going <clears> to... <throat> something crashed. With, with that, we're going to sign off, and we will... Um, I don't know who that is. Uh, with that, we're going to sign off, but again, thanks a lot for everything, and this will be up live on YouTube and on the various blogs and stuff, and, and so until next time, thanks, I appreciate it, and uh, see you guys next week, probably. Yeah, thank you. Hey, uh, Colleen, we should mention the uh, the social media uh, tweet up at your booth at 3.30 on Wednesday. What is your booth number? Uh, our booth number is... 2231. 20, 20, Just wanted to double check. Okay, so uh, if you want to uh, interact and meet up with some other people on social media, uh, Golf Course Industry Magazine will be giving out their social media awards at 3.30 on Wednesday um, on the train show floor at 22.51 or 22.53? 22 22.31. 22.31. Okay, so we'll put that up somewhere as well. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, until next time.